Wicking Vicar is known for making high-quality, comfortable clerical shirts that make great gifts for pastors. But did you know Wicking Vicar also has great gifts for your little Lutherans? Just in time for Advent, you can get a wooden Advent wreath playset to help kids learn about Christ's incarnation. You can also pick up a wooden baptismal candle playset to celebrate your kid's baptismal birthday and teach them to sing, God's own child, I gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. Visit wickingvicar.com to see these gifts. That's W-I-C-K-I-N-G-V-I-C-A-R dot com. Listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. I'm trying to adjust my mic after we start recording and I'm knocking <laughs> it around all over the place. <laughs> I'm a professional. It's fine. So today, <laughs> today on the podcast is a book club wrap up episode. We read Gilead this time by Marilyn Robinson. I loved it, but we're going to get more into it in the next hour plus, because these are always long episodes. Rachel, take it away. (laughs) Okay, so the book we read this time, Gilead, a novel by Marilyn Robinson, winner of the Pulitzer Prize, an Oprah's book club pick, also a recommendation of our friend Katie Shorman. If Oprah and Katie both agree, you know it's a rare day in (laughs) December. (laughs) And then that you really ought to take the recommendation seriously. So we did. Gilead is the first in a four novel cycle. It's not a series because it doesn't really talk about taking the story like further and further. It's the same set of relationships, the same place from four different perspectives. And the first one shows the perspective of a, an elderly congregationalist pastor, the Reverend John Ames, living in Gilead, Iowa, a tiny town that had been founded by his great-grandfather, no, grandfather, also a pastor, and various others as part of the Free Soiler movement, an outshoot of the abolitionist movement before the Civil War. So this is a town that is the kind of place that is small, forgettable, and dying, and yet has a rather interesting history. And he is a pastor of a church that is small, forgettable, and dying, but that also has a history, and he's lived there all his life. He took over the pulpit from his father who took it over from his grandfather. So there's, there's this this tie and this rootedness to a past that nobody remembers but him. And he's writing this, ostensibly writing this story as a set of memoirs for his seven-year-old son, because he married late in life at the age of 67 to a younger woman. And now he is dying of heart failure and wants to pass along some of his wisdom, some of his story to his young son, knowing that he probably won't be there when his son grows up. So that is the basic outline of the story. There's, in some sense, it's a book where nothing much happens. (laughs) (laughs) The most exciting thing is, uh, I don't know, I walked down the street to my fellow pastor, Pastor Botton's house, and we sat on the porch and his daughter sent me home with some tomatoes, you know. <laughs> this one is definitely character-driven, not story-driven. Character-driven yeah. character yeah. and also voice-driven because mm. 
Reverend Ames is somebody that very soon in you realize is the kind of person that's worth listening to, who has had some really deep and transcendent thoughts about life and the universe, and that he's the kind of guy you'd like to sit on a porch in a rocking chair next to and just chat with him about what he thought about stuff and mm. just be prepared for him to meander all over the place because that's kind of what the book does. But it's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's luminous. And I am very glad that we read this together. As I, as I told you when we were picking this book, this was on a stack of books that I've started within the last two years and somehow got stuck in and didn't manage to finish on my own. I needed some companionship. So we've done it. And I'm so glad. It was a really, really good journey. A quiet book, but a powerful mm-hmm. one. That's my take on it. I'd love to hear what you guys thought of this this little novel. I loved it. Uh, I was determined to read my paperback copy and it got to be like the week and a half before book club. And I was like, this is not happening. <laughs> so I relented and got the audiobook, And I'm so glad I did because it felt like I was just sitting with my grandpa, just like it with him telling mm-hmm. stories. And it was so cozy. We also listened to it in the car with my husband and my mother-in-law on the way to and from our Thanksgiving trip. <laughs> So it was our car book. Uh huh. They ended up also loving it and told me that I couldn't finish it without them. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about this. So hopefully this will all make sense. This book made me think a lot more than other books that we've read because of all. It was like historical fiction, but not. I ended up googling so many things because Mm. of the place it was set and all of the stories he was telling and all of these things that were sticking out to me. And because I was listening on audiobook, I was like, and I was in the car. So what else was I going to do? I was just Googling all of these different things that were happening, like the free soilers and like when Kansas became a state and like Mm. the civil war and all the, all of this historical stuff that actually happened that was also in the book, but it was, I don't know, it was just all of those connections kind of make me giddy when I read, which was fun. Um, And then I also, near the end of the book, I was like, where is Gilead, Iowa? Is this a real, is this actually a real place? So I I looked that up too. And it's based on Tabor, 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 Iowa. And I looked up that little tiny town on a map, uh, on Google Maps. And like, there is a Congregationalist church. And it was actually part of the Free Soiler movement. And it was, it's part of the Underground Railroad. And like, there's all of this history that he was talking about in the book is kind of actually stuff that actually happened. In I believe his character Iowa. was his character was actually based off of a real person. Mm. I that would make mm-hmm. a lot of sense because I mean all of these events were events that in some shape or form actually happened in history and it was just kind of blowing my mind near the end of the book. So I can't wait to read the other ones. I am like very invested in these characters mm-hmm. now and I need to know what happened with uh, especially with Jack and Della, like their story was just mm-hmm. getting feels and I googling all kinds of stuff with their story too. And I don't know, it was it was quite wonderful, and I'm so glad we read it. Jack and Della, for those of you who have not read the book, Jack is a younger character in the book who is in a a um, star-crossed interracial marriage in the South in the 1950s, and. Yeah, Sarah wants to know what happens to them, mm-hmm. which yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, so I I finished it 
recently, this week. Today's Monday. It wasn't this week. <laughs> but it was within days. Uh, <laughs> so I'm still, honestly, I'm still sort of processing how it all fits together and like how I feel about it all. I agree. The writing was was beautiful writing. It did pull me in with the characters. It did feel very much like the somewhat meandering, but like there's a purpose to the meandering of the storytelling style mm-hmm. that I've experienced from especially my grandparents. <laughs> um, so that felt familiar. And I did, I had like a recently, I probably because of this book, I've just suddenly been been missing my granddad again uh, because of just hearing that sort of story mm-hmm. meandering story style mm-hmm. to it so I did really appreciate that however I also as the story progressed I think the author did a really I felt she did a really great job of adding layers and depth to the character, especially Mm. the main character, Reverend Ames. But as the story went on and on, (laughs) while he became a more and more believable character, he became more and more believable because there were more and more flaws Uh like thrown in there. And so I started, I, I wrestle with, do I like him as much now as the story goes on? Because I found more and more things that I'm like, wait, no. And, um, <laughs> and so anyway, that's that's something that I observed as we went along. I still found it very believable with how it was written. And I thought it was very impressive the way she wrote in a way where he was telling the story and yet you could see his blind spots mm-hmm. even as he's the one narrating it. And mm. so it was just interesting with that, but any, I don't know. So that's something I'm still sort of processing through what I feel and think about the whole picture. Ultimately, it was it was a really well-written story. So I do appreciate that part of it. I'm still trying to decide how do I personally like feel about these people because that that is something I do as a reader. I become in, I become invested in the lives of the characters <laughs> and then I decide to actually like them or not. And honestly, it is very much a like a a personal thing. <laughs> if I don't like them, then I, anyway, I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Yeah. I think it was okay. <laughs> I, it was very, I'm not going to lie. It was very hard to get into initially. I did read the audiobook by Tim Jerome, who out of all of the books that we've read that I've had an audiobook for, he is clearly the most talented and emotive narrator that I've had the pleasure of listening to. Like you can really tell that Tim takes on Reverend Ames, like, like he becomes him. And I thought that that was really, that was really well done. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was good. I, it was very introspective. I will agree with, with Aaron on that. I feel like it was, I mean, it's basically a seven hour long letter to his kid, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like a 500 page letter, <laughs> which is pretty cool, I guess. But like, yeah, I, I need to know more, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thankfully, there are more books if you can guess take that through. <laughs> it sounds like this one was a bit of a, well, maybe if they have good narrators for the other mm-hmm. ones, which presumably they would since this series has been so critically 
highly regarded. I expect they get the best of the best to narrate the audiobooks. So this book, maybe not everyone's cup of tea, but it seemed like a lot of people who read it with us. And thanks to the 60 women who joined us in our Facebook discussion group for this book, a lot of people really got a lot out of it because it is a book that makes you think. And unfortunately, there were way more questions than I felt like we had brain space to tackle. So I only got to pick a few of the most, I thought, urgent ones or the easiest, the the easiest entry ones. (laughs) So but as we usually do, I will ask you guys each to pick a question that we can discuss more in depth here. But I will also give you the option if you would rather than a question. And in question number four, I asked readers to pick a pause and ponder moment because there were so many times when I was just like, I had to put the book down. That's one reason it took me so long to get through it. Um, Mm -hmm. I put the book down Mm -hmm. to just mull things over for a bit. I loved, I wish I could find it. One downside to the paperback, which is nearly as bad as the audiobook in this regard, is there are zero chapters, which if you think about an old pastor writing to his son, there would be no chapters. So it's a, it's a, it's a valid stylistic choice, but it makes it very, very hard to find things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But there's a wonderful section where he's talking about this one jello salad that <laughs> yes i can't even yes. find it or i'd read the quote and it's beautiful but where he talks about that, that there was this article from a magazine a few years ago talking about religion and he and this fellow pastor had, had bookmarked was- it and like passed the article around back and forth and he says i know a lot of people in my congregation must have read it because exactly opposite from this article is a recipe sound like a truly horrendous jello salad recipe that had been made for him and this other pastor uh-huh. um, repeatedly ever since the issue had come out and it just felt so so real and true to life and how many how many women have been like oh, this sounds cool i'll clip it out and make it and bring <laughs> it to potluck or give it to pastor you know for uh, single pastors of course get lots of lots mm-hmm. of attention that way so yeah, the fact that Jello Salad made it into one of our book club reads, I feel is a moment absolute triumph. But these pause and ponder moments that that make you stop and think, either you know, chuckle to yourself or just go a little deeper and think, okay, yeah, that's that's actually what it's like in real life. So you have the option of picking a question or a pause and ponder moment. Okay. 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 <laughs> I have I think I have two because overachiever hashtag. Um, But one, we don't have to talk about both. One of them, I just wanted to point out that the story about the horse that falls into the hole in the town, I was in the tunnel in the town. I was screaming in the car. Like it was, it was hilarious. And then because I was pausing and pondering about it, I actually missed the end of the story and what actually happened. So he like, I realized that he had gone on to something else. And I was like, wait, what happened to the horse that was stuck in the hole? <laughs> so the the basic premise of this story, unless Sarah, do you have it pulled up? I do, but you might be able to summarize it better. Summarize. So these, these Free Soilers historical background, during the years leading up to the Civil War, there was sort of this land rush to see whether the new states coming in from the Western territories were going to be slave states or free state. And when Kansas was up for grabs, a whole bunch of abolitionists and a whole bunch of pro-slavery people all rushed in to try and make it, you know, either a free or a slave state. And there was some 
very bloody skirmishes that happened, but there was also a lot of underground railroad activity with these abolitionists. And so this entire town of Gilead sprung up as an abolitionist town and they dug a tunnel underneath the main street <laughs> as part of their underground railroad activities, but they did not pay attention to the fact that it was very soft sand. And so a stranger rode into town on his horse and his horse sunk right into the tunnel. <laughs> and But they, they couldn't say anything about it because they didn't want anyone to know that this was an underground railroad stop and the tunnel was there. And so eventually they just said, well, we can't get the horse out here. Have a different horse. We'll swap you. And then that ball and put a shed, shed over top of a horse while they figured out what to do. And then they eventually just packed up and moved to the town several hundred yards away. It's like Seinfeldian almost. It is. You know, it really is. But it is a moment that stops and makes you think because you think, am I that committed to a cause? Have I ever been that committed to a cause in my life that I would, one, dig a tunnel, two, just completely go with this horse in the road thing and then pick up and move my town? So as it, mm -hmm. it wasn't because the tunnel had compromised the integrity of the street. It was that it had compromised the integrity of their scheme to smuggle folks north to freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that level of commitment is something that is so unusual. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so you're laughing, but you're also going, huh, do I care yeah. that much? Like they moved the town. Like, I don't know. It was it was great. It was great. I I loved it at that point because that isn't too far into the book. And up to that point, it was a little slow. And I was trying to figure out like I knew there were three generations in the story, but I thought it was the son and the dad and his father. And it took me a while to realize that the three generations were John Ames, his dad, and his grandpa. Like, it took mm -hmm. me a while to actually figure out what was happening. But at that point in the story with that, with the drunk horse story, uh, I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm here for this now. This is great. <laughs> all in. Push all the chips in. Yes. Yes. Okay. And on the flip side of that, Jack's story arc at the end, I feel like that's really where like the rubber hits the road in the yep. story, at least for me, that's when it really got real when Jack comes home. I feel like at that point in the book, a lot of stuff shifted, like the focus of the story shifted. Yeah. It became all about his relationship, John's relationship with Jack and what that meant for him and all of this inner turmoil he was having because of how he was feeling about Jack. But then he felt guilty about how he felt about Jack and he like couldn't figure out why he was why he felt so unsure about like leaving his family to Jack and like their whole relation, the whole backstory of how he even became named Jack. Like that was weird to him. <laughs> there's, there's so much surrounding that relationship. So Jack is the black sheep of his friend Botton's large family who yes. is named for John Ames and is sort of his, is his godson. And so then this black sheep of the family comes back suddenly to town to stay with his dad and sort of, you know, renew that relationship. But at the same time, the elder John Ames is just remembering all the things that young Jack did out of just pure mean spite, as at least mm -hmm. as he sees. As Aaron points out, he's not the world's most reliable narrator all the time. Mm -hmm. But he's worried, you know, if I die, what's going to happen to my sweet wife and sweet son who think the world of this, this man and know nothing about all the stuff he's pulled over the years. And then, of course, we get to know that there's more to Jack than meets the eye. Yeah. Yeah. So then, like, Jack finally gives his story and 
his relationship with Della, his African-American wife, they got married in what, Tennessee? Yeah. Tennessee. And yes. that that whole story had me Googling a lot about interracial marriage laws. And, and Well, they were not legally stuff. married. They were married in the eyes of God. Right, right. Yeah. exactly. But like the fact that people were so uncomfortable even about their mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. and even seeing them together and like Della was fired from her job. Like all of this stuff makes me have a lot of feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but just knowing his story arc and then and then how John comes around at the end, spoiler alert, comes around at the end to bless him as he goes off. Like it's just, I, I loved seeing how John like worked through all of his inner turmoil about how he felt about this relationship and got to a point where he wanted to bless this child because I don't think he would have done that when he first comes no. home I like very no, far away would not have trusted and it's no. a, there's a beautiful yeah. symmetry to that moment because if you remember back to the part where John was baptizing Jack mm-hmm. so he had been called in as sort of the guest pastor to baptize his godson and did not know until the moment of the baptism they had given him a completely different name and then you know got to the baptism how is this child to be named John Ames Boughton. And he totally was t- caught off guard, didn't know how he felt about this. Yeah. And so he felt, he always felt like he had botched Jack's baptism and then maybe it was his fault. It was just, his spirit was in a very weird place when he, when he did it. And so mm-hmm. at the end, when he puts his hand on Jack's head, it's like, okay, you just, whatever went wrong way back mm-hmm. then in your own mind with regard to this person yeah. has now been set right. And yeah. it's just, just gorgeous, gorgeous. And I don't know. I, I kind of was angry at Jack for a long time because of all the stuff he did in the past. But then when he does tell his story, I was like, just come on. Like, you can't even have, he just, he's just one of those characters I just feel so sad for because it, it looks like he's going to have this happy life. And then all of these different circumstances kind of just blow it up in his face. And it might be partially his fault because he probably didn't totally handle stuff as well as he could have but like he just he just can't have that happiness that he like desperately wants mm. so i can't wait to, wait to read his story <laughs> <laughs> so i think in a on that note and I, we're skipping around here oh, i wanted to around. answer question number six which was basically given what you've read in this story basically there are three other books they're not chronological they sort of happen at the same time, maybe, is the impression that I'm getting. So there's three other books in that time frame told from the perspective of other people. So there's one for Lila, there's one for Jack, and there's one called Home, but I'm not sure if that's written from the perspective of a specific person. I haven't looked enough. I believe it's Glory. from Glory, Glory, which is Botten's daughter who lives okay. right today. Yes. Okay. So as much as I am kind of like, eh, about it about this particular book like I still I still want to read the other three because I really feel as though if I'm getting additional perspectives Mm. it's going to create a fuller picture and Mm -hmm. maybe help me change my perspective on the first book because it it's John Ames is writing off the top of the dome just like stream of consciousness to his son and like Mm-hmm. There was a lot of stuff that John Ames was wrong about. You know, it's it felt like, for example, he was housing this resent, like this internal resentment against Jack, almost like he was feeling as though 
Jack was going to replace him when his time on this earth is over. And so the sort of this like jealousy resentment that, yeah, at the end of the book, as Sarah was saying, you sort of see this transformation of like, yeah, dude, I'm not here to replace you. Like I have a whole entire family waiting for me back home that I can't be with Mm -hmm. conditions being what they are. So I, I think that's the gamble that you take when you're reading a story that is basically one person narrating and only giving certain glimpses of dialogue, snippets of dialogue from other people. And so I would be interested to know how the other perspectives sort of fit together with this, because I like it is beautiful. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's beautifully written. I like John Ames as a character, mostly. But yeah, I think it would be important to see sort of where other people are coming from mm-hmm. in this whole universe. It's an exercise in empathy in a yes. literary sense. Mm-hmm. Correct. You, you never want to pass up an opportunity to see the world through other people's eyes. Yeah. So I there there definitely were a lot of the pause and ponder moments. It's also a weighty enough story that I I didn't just binge it as far as like reading my way through it I would read a chunk and then I'd be like okay I'm just gonna I need a break for something a little little lighter just because it did require more focus absolutely (laughs) to to really follow along with it I don't necessarily have a single pause and ponder moment but what I didn't notice and keep reflecting on is the prodigal son theme that kept coming Mm up multiple times throughout the book Mm. and maybe it is even one of the the themes that she really one of the overarching themes she intended to to weave in and what I was struck by is how the how how Reverend Ames was Oh, he he was looking at Jack as the as the prodigal son. And in many ways he did he did fit that role. But that was sort of the maybe the blinders he had put on himself for looking at that situation. And I was struck as the story went on and on how how much it seemed that Reverend Ames was really fitting into the sort of the older son role Mm -hmm. in that story Mm. and of the good son who stayed home and sort of was very judgmental of the of the returning son and did he deserve to be welcomed back knowing what he had left behind and what were his intentions and sort of what you were saying, Brie, with the looking on, on Jack with jealousy and suspicion and, and for good reason, you know, absolutely. Like Jack is in his past was pretty despicable. Right. Mm Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was just struck though the way I don't I I can't tell that from the way the story was written that he ever saw that in himself. Mm. So I don't think he ever recognized himself that he was treating Jack in that way, but it's still something that I sort of noticed and and observed with it. I really appreciated the way it was and it felt very true and and real. And I was like, people people do this all the time where you've got complex sets of motivations. And so, yes, he did. He did at last give Jack this blessing. 
as Jack was literally walking out of town. Mm -hmm. Would he have given him this blessing if he wasn't actually like, yes, I'll bless you, bless you out the door? Uh, (laughs) It's not at all that he had that conscious thinking about it. But again, I was just struck by the fact that he was only he only actually did bless him for and and mean it when Jack was actually set on leaving and he had to actually like chase him down the road to give him this blessing. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think he can genuinely mean this this blessing and it can be truly, truly honestly meant while at the same time also having those mixed motivations that also get mixed in there. And that's that's what our life is in this world, right? Like we've, you know, we have all sorts of of sinful things that get caught up in the middle, middle of it. And the, you know, the Lord redeems them all. But that doesn't change the fact that there are those sinful undercurrents and and motivations that that are there. So I just thought that was interesting as well, the way that, yes, you're right, Rachel, it was a beautiful thing that, and there was a beautiful symmetry with this, you know, the beginning of the story with Jack and the baptism and how that was thrust upon him in the midst of his grief, like, here is a replacement son for you, you lost your wife and and child, but how about this one? Surprise! Uh, <laughs> Which is just a weird thing in itself. It was, it was. And I'm like, there's there's maybe some interesting stuff we didn't hear about with, you know, the bot and the elder. Like, yeah. what's going on with that father-son dynamic? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's something there. Who knows? So anyway, there was just, there was a whole lot of it. But I, I don't want it to come across that I'm saying that because, because I feel like there were these like undercurrents that were unresolved within Reverend Ames that that somehow diminishes the the conclusion and the mm. willingness to extend grace and and all of that at the end that's that's not that's I feel like it's instead it's the opposite the fact that there are undercurrents and these unresolved things the f- the fact that he is still able to give this blessing is i mean that's because of the the grace yep. and mm-hmm. mercy of, of Christ and it's not it's not that those under that those diminish it it's in, instead like that that makes the grace side of it shine even more clearly yeah mm-hmm. in many ways anyway i just i i enjoyed the way she sort of explored that theme without she didn't she didn't make it explicit. She didn't fully resolve things. Mm. I don't feel like at all. Mm-mm. Like, I mean, he just no. walked out of town. Like, where what yeah. happened? Yeah. We don't know. She left us hanging with it. Did it, you know, where did did the elder button? Was there ever any other resolution anywhere? Who knows? Sounds what like real happened. life. Sometimes there's resolution and sometimes there's not. Exactly. Exactly. And so anyway, those are just sort of the some of the things I've been as we got, as it got to the end, because you're right, Sarah, that as the end came up, it did become like more and more, it became less and less meandering mm-hmm. and more and more grounded in like, okay, here is backstory. Here is real suffering and mm-hmm. struggle. And how do these things come up together with all of your preconceived ideas? Mm-hmm. What does that make you change and shift so I love that you draw the parallel to the prodigal son parable. 
because we often we hear that so much. We've heard mm-hmm. it so much that we tend to gloss over. And, you know, we we need a first perspective on it every once in a while. And the fact that though I don't know whether it was intentional and I, I don't know whether it was done, you know, by art, the fact that you have this novel length opportunity to place yourself in an older brother type character, someone mm-hmm. whose concerns are legitimate, who knows that this prodigal, you know, has has not been a very good human being who is afraid for his wife and child, knowing that he will leave and leave them vulnerable and that this person has a history of using and abandoning women and children. Mm -hmm. You know, his concerns are justifiable. And I suppose if you're thinking of the parable, yeah, the older brother's gripes and concerns and fears are legit. This guy, he did it once, he'll do it again. He'll break my father's heart again. And all of my goodness doesn't seem to mean anything to the situation. That it, it, I think it forces you to slow down and revisit the parallel and real parable and realize i need to take some more time with this it's a very much more complicated story and i think the lord meant for it to be something that we linger over mm. and mm-hmm. don't speed through and mm-hmm. so a story like this can help us remember to slow down that there is a book length novel treatment of this that we just don't have access to <laughs> but the characters are so real yeah. I think it's interesting too thinking about John's older brother Edward and mm-hmm. how he is mm-hmm. like the opposite of the prodigal son. He leaves home and kind of does figure it all out and also leaves faith behind completely and then comes home and is just like I don't need your religion. I got my own thing. Like it's it's mm-hmm. that flip of yeah. of the younger son. He doesn't have yeah. any yeah. remorse You're right. for You're anything. Right. Yeah, and John, that's like I mean, the third son we didn't hear about in the original parable. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and John struggles with that too. Yeah. And his relationship with his atheist older brother. And like, what mm-hmm. does that mean for his own faith mm-hmm. also? Yeah. Oh, there is so much more we could talk about this. I feel like we're just getting warmed up. But should we talk about the re- all the religion part? Maybe not all, but just like the religious overtone I found it really interesting coming from a Lutheran perspective. First of all, I thought it was hilarious. All the digs he gives to the Lutheran church. (laughs) Yeah. So John Ames is congregationalist. His best friend, Reverend Boughton, is a Presbyterian pastor. So it's two pastors Mm -hmm. from two different church traditions who are are besties. And the, the Lutherans come in where John Ames' son, his best friend, Tobias, is Lutheran. And Tobias' father is a character who pops up every once in a while to express his dismay that Reverend Ames, a pastor, would allow fill-in-the-blank outrageous behavior from these seven-year-old boys. (laughs) (laughs) Tobias is, like, not allowed to watch TV ever. (laughs) Oh, man. All one and a half channels that were available in the (laughs) theater. I just thought it was really interesting being reading this from a Lutheran worldview, I suppose, and reading theology that was not Lutheran, especially the whole part about predestination yeah. and like knowing where people are. I don't I know, know if it was a comment one of you guys made or if it was in the group. Somebody, and maybe it was you, Rachel. I don't know. Somebody mentioned that it was just really sad that he didn't have an actual answer. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. could not come up with an answer. And I'm like yelling at him. Right. <laughs> trying but to answer. Is, I mean, even that is true to life because how many pastors have been like, 
okay, you're asking me this stumper of a question. Do you actually want a serious answer? Because I'm not sure you actually want a serious answer. I think you're just messing with me here. And yet I'm your pastor, so I'm obligated to try and give you an answer. And yet I'm so flustered. Here, do you want a book? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's so it's so refreshing, actually, to see all this religion in a book that isn't a religious book. Mm -hmm. It's rare that that you see it and it feels Mm -hmm. it feels really nice. It's a reminder to me. I mean, like, you know, we the the digs of the Lutherans, I just want to say, well, I thought Lutherans were all about grace. But, you know, I listen I listened to my grandmother's stories growing up when, you know, she was a Lutheran pastor's daughter, LCMS, and they weren't allowed to dance or play cards. Yeah. That, you know, there was a very different sort of standard of behavior in the first half of the 20th century towards Mm -hmm. Lutherans than there was in the second half, I think. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to separate the theology from the cultural and societal norms of because yeah. and I, I think it cuts both ways because how many relatable similarities did we feel like reading this book? Like you don't have to be a Lutheran or a Presbyterian or whomever to have these sort of commonalities threading yeah. throughout our lives like. I s- sometimes forgot that he was a Congregationalist. Yeah, like, he sounded yeah. a lot of times sounded very Lutheran. Sorry uh, to say, maybe yeah, yeah. no. Like spend enough time in the Bible, and that will happen usually. Right, right. Just gonna say it. Mm-hmm. His me. whole his whole bringing up of communion in different places. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still not sure how I feel about that <laughs> because my Lutheran, my Lutheran doctrine brain is like, yeah. yeah. Oh, about this, but like his whole sentiment behind it is was very intriguing. Uh-huh. See, we just had to keep going because yeah. <laughs> once you start on this book, you can't stop. But I just want to—I <laughs> want to say one thing. Just mm-hmm. one more thing. <laughs> just one more thing. Go. <laughs> one more thing. The reason I think I liked John Ames so much is because he kept reminding us the objective of this book through like. How much he loves his son, like uh-huh. yeah. that, like the way that he yep. like hyped up his kid and like dumped all of this love into a letter that he will eventually like. It just tugged at the heartstrings, y'all. It was mm-hmm. so sweet. Can you imagine? I don't know the the face of that boy when he became a young man or a grown man, and his mother said, "Oh, by the way." Your father left this for you, and I think you're ready to have it now. Mm-hmm. And just it made me think I should start like tomorrow doing this for each of my kids. I don't have time. <laughs> yeah, but to four be seven able, hour letters to be able to leave that kind of legacy of a piece of yourself, of your story, of your faith. It's just a, yeah, you're yeah. right, Bree. That is that is the most exciting part of the whole story. Yeah, Dad loves his kid yes. a lot. Felt so good. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think we need to just call it there. Yeah. Yeah. I might have liked this story better than I initially said. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes happens. <laughs> Verbal processing. It is, though. It's one of those that you need time to process yeah. and to, to, to discuss, I think. I think that does help help it settle more that's mm-hmm. why book club is so great because you mm-hmm. had like i got yeah. i asked one question thinking i expected 
like three or four, at least, you know, half a dozen answers that I had in my mind. I'm sure someone will chime in with this one or this one or this one. (laughs) And the first four responses were like these long, thoughtful paragraphs that were none of my anticipated (laughs) answers. And I Uh thought, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Like, I needed you to point those things out to me that I missed. I thought I had all the angles covered and I did not. And yet I was able to appreciate and get a whole lot more out of the book with company than I did without company. Yeah, Thank indeed. you. Mission accomplished. We need to pick a new book. <laughs> True. It is that time. It is. And I gotta confess, I'm a little less prepared than usual. You guys know Thanksgiving was like last week. And right? Come on now. Really busy. <laughs> it's December. When everything happens. Yeah. Right. And now it's Advent, everyone. It's Advent. Mm. It's Advent, yes. So I'm going to just pull out an idea I've had in my back pocket for a while. And here's how we're going to pick our next book. You need to go to cph.org. I know you all have computers there. Okay. Okay. We're going to go to the drop-down menu that says books and go down to the section books for adults, much as I love Kidlet. Okay. Keep going till you get to biography okay. and click. <laughs> okay. And here oh. we we were talking before the episode. It's been a while since we've done nonfiction. So we need to do some nonfiction. I mean, we don't need to, but so let's do it. Let's do it. Let's um, do it. And CPH offers a whole page of really interesting biographies of people mostly from around the Reformation. There are a few non-Reformation people like Wilhelm Leia. And there are a lot of books on this list that have been on my, I want to read that sometime list. And so now is my time. So I'm going to ask you guys to each sort of like skim through and pick out, each pick out a book you'd like to submit for consideration. Not all of these are published by Concordia. A couple of them are some that they have recognized from other publishers as worthwhile and have added to their website. So it is by no means a comprehensive list of Lutheran interest biographies however it's a great place to start and i would be very excited to dig into one of these with you guys give us a minute and sarah can cut out as much dead time as we need to (laughs) yep take your time i don't know which one to pick (laughs) so many good ones the executioner's redemption Mm -hmm. watch rachel we pick one that's not reformation that's fine (laughs) I just said CPH Lutheran Interest Biography will be the name of this category. Oh, this dude is still alive. Yeah. Oh, I don't know which one that to... I don't know. John Frederick the Magnanimous. That's my vote. Because I like the word magnanimous. Hmm. Magnanimous. All right. We have our first selection. John Frederick the Magnanimous. Defender also, of Martin really Luther, mad. And hero of the Reformation. This is a translation from the German of Georg Menz's original biography of John Frederick, who Mm. was a background character in the Luther story and a strong participant in the Small Cold War after Luther's death. All right. I've never heard of him. I will definitely learn something from this. That's option one. I'm totally downloading the samples and like reading through. (laughs) Because like the style of writing makes a big difference. It really does. I'm just taking a shot in the dark, y'all. That's fine. I'm open. 
Why are there no reviews? Do people not review? People don't books review on, on no. CPA. Gotta go to Goodreads. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna submit my own. I know I don't always submit, but mine is going because I just am finishing up like tonight. I have like three more pages to go. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship, which was another one of my gotta finish before the end of the year books. Hey. And this one I'm gonna make it on. But here we have a biography by Theodore Kleinhans. Till the Night Be Past, The Life and Times of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I know that there's a much more famous biography of him by Eric Metaxas. Just sitting in my bathroom at home. Which is also a possibility. I would absolutely not mind doing a Bonhoeffer biography. That one's very long. That's a good two inches thick. This one's 176 pages, so not that Ooh, long. That's manageable. <laughs> it is manageable. I am. think I'm going to pick... The Mother of the Reformation, The Amazing Life. Oh, yeah. Luther. All right. Excellent. This is one of two Katie Luther biographies. All right. Then I'm going to even it out with another uh, less Reformation person. Okay. And go with From Atheism to Christianity, the Mm -hmm. story of C.S. Lewis. Nice. Oh, this is is now a great list of possibilities. I was actually... (laughs) So my recommendation was going to be C.S. Lewis, but I was like, we read him already, but I know this is different. So I co-signed Sarah's pick, actually. Oh, oh well, I'm not sure Aaron and I have enough votes to go against that. <laughs> Sorry. That's but okay. Also, I want to help you finish your books. before the end. Like, I want I want that for you. I want that for you. <laughs> okay. Well, I want that for me, too. Wait, so how does I'm this torn. help? How, how will this help me finish my books? This sounds like I'm just going to get another book to put on my... No, I'm, so I'm saying I, I'm torn between this one and the book that's on your shelf. The Well, no, you mean the, the Bonhoeffer oh, one. Oh, that which, one yes. was Sarah's. No. I don't, Didn't you say the one that you picked is one in your pile? Oh, no, no, no. I'm just finishing up one by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now and I want to read it out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear anything. Sorry. Then never oh, I know mind. the I man re- behind the book that I really enjoyed. I redact my statement then. Okay. So for those of you trying to follow along at home, we have John Frederick the Magnanimous, defender of Martin Luther and hero of the Reformation. We have Till the Night Be Past, the life and times of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We have The Mother of the Reformation, the amazing life and story of Catherine Luther. We have From Atheism to Christianity, the story of C.S. Lewis. Any one of these, I would be very happy to read. We just need to pick one. And Brie has already yeah. voted for Lewis. Aaron, can we live with that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lewis is great. I mean, Lewis is great. I uh, have read a lot of and about Lewis, but that's because I'm a super fan. And so this, and this one I have not read yet. So it's Ooh, yes. Okay. I'm I'm working my way toward the space trilogy, which is part of what I want. Oh. Because I know everyone's like, it's so good. So maybe, maybe 2023 might be a very Lewis year for us in the Lutheran Ladies right. Book Club. You know what? Think- if he's having a moment, let him have a moment. Well, like, if I'm nerd. having a moment, let me have a moment. the year of Lewis and like also read screw tape letters or something. Oh, I've got like half a screw tape member. <laughs> I think it would be fun. Yes. Okay, but we will start by learning the man behind the books, and then we will, for a later discussion, 
discuss whether we want to read some of those other Lewis classics. We have already read Till We Have Faces, which you can (laughs) find when you go to our Facebook group, click on documents, and you can see our entire recently updated book club book list with all of our choices. So if you're looking for great reads for people for Christmas gifts or for yourself, I can vouch for nearly every book on that list that it is worth reading. But our new book is From Atheism to Christianity, the Story of C.S. Lewis by Joel Heck, available from Concordia Publishing House, our dear friends. Yes, this is going to be great. I cannot find it on my free audiobook apps. It is available as an audio. No, it's not available as an audiobook. It's only on Kindle and paperback. So sorry, audiobook people. You might have to actually read the or download one of those fun PDF Print. readers that reads in like robot voice. I've done that before with books. It's okay. But anyway, I know. It's no Tim Jerome. That's <laughs> no Tim Jerome. Maybe we can petition him to read it. I don't know. Is he alive still? Anyway. <laughs> from Atheism to Christianity, the story of C.S. Lewis from CPH. It is also available on Amazon if you're a person that likes to all purchase things on Amazon. We don't judge you. So thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. This will be super fun. Our book club will be end of February. So this will be great cold January month reading for y'all. And as usual, this will happen in our Facebook group. As an event, you just have to RSVP that you're going to the event and then you'll find all of the discussion in that event on Facebook. It is asynchronous, which means Rachel will post the questions and then we all chime in. And all of those events, the past book clubs are still available in the Facebook group too. So if you find one and you want to participate, you can always go back and comment on stuff because yeah, it's just never die on Facebook. No. So that's great. Facebook is forever. <laughs> Until it's not. <laughs> Until it's not. <laughs> but for now, yeah. <laughs> so find us there in our Facebook group, Lulu's Ladies Lounge on Facebook or on Instagram as well. We post some extra bonus content on our Instagram page that doesn't always get posted on Facebook. So if you're on Instagram as well, follow us there at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. If you'd like to get our e-newsletter, you can do that as well. There is different bonus content that we put in our e-newsletter. So you can sign up for that via the show notes for this episode, or you can send us an email, lutheranladies at kfuo.org, and we'll get you signed up for that e-newsletter. Find all of our podcast episodes at kfuo.org slash lutheranladieslounge, or on your favorite podcasting app, or on the KFUO radio app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. KFUO Radio and the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast are underwritten in part by Wicking Vicar. Visit them online at wickingvicar.com. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us, too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org slash give. Oh, that's stupid. I thought that was Maggie outside my door. No. <laughs> jingle jangling.